0: Hello, church family. Uh, this is your pastor. Uh, I decided to maybe this week do something different with our devotionals. Instead of actually writing something or typing something out, I decided maybe I'll just re- do a recording for you. Uh, mainly for me, it's because it's easier for me just to speak than it is for me to type. Uh, but also, I think it would be fun You'll know, just to be able to um, speak to you directly uh, so you can hear my voice and uh, so I can encourage you with the Word of God. Uh, I thought for this week uh, or even potentially next several months to do a little book study in the book of Esther uh, Some of you know that I am going through my or Lord willing I can do my ordination this fall and so I'm studying through most of the Bible as much as I can uh, and I stumbled upon the book of Esther and I thought that Esther is a good book for us especially in this time because it really highlights uh, God's sovereignty. This is really a book that speaks to our time. Uh, it seems like uh, it's not, uh, in this book, uh, the God is never mentioned at all, and it's one of the few books, one of the two books where God's name is not mentioned, the other one being uh, so- Songs of Solomon, and uh, is the only one of the two books that are named after woman. the other one being Ruth. Uh, and this book really speaks of how God is never even though he's never mentioned, he's still in absolute control over all things. And again, this, I think, is reflective of our time, because in our time, in our day and age, it seems as though God is not present. Our invisible God is invisible, so we don't see him. But even though we don't see him physically, he's still in control over everything thing that's going on. Our God is in control even when we don't see it. And uh, we can trust this invisible God. Whereas the world challenges and uh, challenges the war, or have no idea what's going on, we have absolute assurance knowing that our God is in complete control. In the book of Esther, through this entire book, you can see the radiance of the power of God. Uh, God may seem absent, but he uh, is always in control. He's always working, he's always using his people and, in the end, building up uh, everything to his purpose. So if this is true, if God is this way back then in the book of Esther, then it is also true in our day as well. Uh, no one sees God, but God is still at work. And by the end of the study, I hope that this would be an encouragement to all of us that we can indeed trust the Lord and that our faith will be strengthened. So I do want to lay some ground rules before getting through this book. I'm going to divide this uh, book into 10 different weeks, but within the 10 weeks, I'll break it up. In each message into like maybe five or six. So each devotional one will be about five, maybe between ten to twelve minutes each. This first one might be a little bit longer just because I have to do more background information. But I want my hope is that we can uh, each day that you uh, that you hear this is just really like one whole sermon broken up to five different little parts. So the little sermonettes, and my hope again is so that you can uh, know God's word and that you can uh, trust in the God of this of the scriptures. So, uh, before that, uh, let me just start our time with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're grateful for this time. Again, even though we're quarantined, separate from one another, uh, though we are still united in you, Lord. We're united around your word and we do pray for, um, just for comfort. Uh, we're all struggling in different ways and being stuck at home is not easy, but we long for a day where we could, uh, also be home with you and, uh. We miss being in the same presence physically with one another, and again, this just really a teaching lesson for us to long for future, Lord, the day where we could be together again for all of eternity, where there will be no uh, sin or any cro- corruption that will separate us, Lord. Thank you for this time that we have to study through this book, and may you be uh, glorified and, and and honored through it, Lord. Pray these things in your Son's name, Amen. So, the background of this book, the Book of Esther is is in between Ezra chapter 6 and chapter 7. Uh, if you remember last year, I preached through one little short sermon on uh, on Ezra chapter 7. Uh, well, that chapter before that is the Book of Esther. And now, a lot of ways, Esther is kind of like the, if you were to use Star Wars as illustration, it's like the Rogue One of the entire series. Uh, it's after Revenge of the Sith and before A New Hope, and then in between is Rogue One. That's what the Book of Esther is. Uh, in between chapter 6 and 7 Esther, of Ezra, the entire event of Esther unfolds. During this time, the uh, Socrates existed, and uh, even at that time, which is interesting to us, the Olympics uh, has just started. Uh, so there is a sense in which uh, we could relate to that. Uh, the Olympics is going on this time, and uh, when Esther was, during the, the course of Esther, this is when the Persian Empire was was reigning. This is when uh, the Persian ruled the known world. And uh, this is really modern-day Pakistan. And uh, the author of this book is, is unknown, but it's most likely uh, Ezra. Uh, it's most likely, I think it's Ezra. I think he's probably, or if it's not Ezra, then there's probably some Persian Jewish person that lived through this and wrote down everything. Um, one of the cool things about this book is that uh, by the end of this book, uh, there's a celebration called Purim. And this is, it's a celebration where... Uh, Jews, well, every year actually, they, the two-day celebration where they would read through this book, and every time they hear names like Esther and and Mordecai, they would cheer. But when they hear Haman, they would boo. And they still do this now uh, in, in modern day, which is kind of cool uh, that we're, we you kind of trace where that uh, Jewish culture stems from. It stems from this book. Um, so this book is again, it highlights uh, that even though God is not present in the pages of Scripture. He is still active in protecting his people. And that's significant. We'll get, we'll get more into that as we get to the following weeks. I'll explain more how uh, God works through this. So how this little first chapter, what we're going to do, this first chapter, this first portion of this is going to be more background. I'm going to walk through the text and make some commentaries on it. And then throughout the week, I'll give different application points. And each of the application points is really just how, the, how does the world respond to life? Uh, we're going to look at how sinners, non-Christians respond to life, how government responds to life, and how Christians respond to life, and how the Lord controlled all of life. So that's going to be our outline. But for today, this first session, uh, or this first lesson, we're just going to walk through the text. So this is really the, more, the, the, the message that you want to hear so that it gives you context for the rest of the entire series. So um, that's just a heads up. So I'm going to read through this text, and I'm just going to give you some running commentary as we go. So Esther, Chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, just open it there, and I'm going to read from the New American Standard. Esther, Chapter 1. Now it took place in the days of Ajaharis and Ajaharis, who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. In those days, as King Ajaharis sat on his royal throne, which was at the Citadel (laughs) citadel in Susa, in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his princes and attendees, the army officers of Persia and the media, Media the nobles and princes of his province being in his pleasure. So this first few verses kind of sets it up, uh, who, what's going on. And this is really like a prologue of the rest of the book, because there's no Jewish people mentioned in this entire chapter that God isn't mentioned this entire book, but there aren't even any believers here. Um, and you notice the first guy here as mentioned is Azure Harris and he is a Persian king. And, uh, in our translation, it uses the word it is translated as Agagias, but uh, other translation actually translate him as Xerxes. So some of you guys know who he is. He's a, he's he was he's you know I think there's like even movies about this guy, but he is he reigned over the whole uh, whole known world, 127 provinces. That's that shows his powerful his power. And what's funny though about his name is that his name in the Hebrew actually means headache. So if you're a Jewish person reading this, you think it's funny because it's like the days of headache, the headache who reigned over India to Ethiopia, and days of king headache, um, and you find and it's, it's funny how that is because he he gets into a lot of conundrum and problems later on, and that will probably will give him some headaches. Um, but he reigned, he, and then this whole first part is really to establish his power. He he has his banquets in uh, the 30th of his reign, and it's in the last six months, in verse four. And he displayed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his great majesty for many days, 180 days. So that's six months worth of party. And if you just imagine this quarantine thing that we have or this coronavirus, it's only been three months. If you double that, that's how long their party was. Um, And the reason why he did this is really to show off. He wants to show off that he has control over the nations. He wants to show that he has control and power over uh, his armies and uh, and to show off his wealth, his success. Um, Verse 5, When these days were completed, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days for all the people who were present at the Citadel and Caesar from the greatest to the least in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were hangings of fine white and violet linen held by cords of fine purple linen on silver rings and marble columns and couches of gold and silver on mosaic pavements of uh, porphyry, marble, mother pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels of various kinds and of royal wine, most plentiful according to the king's bounty. The drinking was then according to law. There was no compulsion. And what does this mean? What does this little... Uh, drinking according to the law. In Persian time, one of the rules that they have is that if you're at the party, you have to drink. You can't just go to the party and not drink. You can't say, oh, I want to have a glass of water or juice. And when you're at this party, you have to drink. If you want to stop drinking, you have to leave the party. Uh, And the reason why that is is because they don't want people that are like drunk and people that are sober to interact with each other and make some sort of weird deals. You know, the, the drunker person say, oh, okay, I'll give you this, this. I'll give you all my cattle for a string. And the guy that's sober, like, okay, I'll do it. Let's do it right now. We'll sign the deal. Then they give me all your cattle for a string. And then when the guy is sobers up, then when that's drinking is sober, he's like, hey, what happened? You know, that they're, they're trying to avoid all of that. So that's what the law is uh, there. It's, it's for people to make sure that if they want to party, they just party all out and they don't want to stop partying. you can go home. They can even go home and come back to the party later on. <clears throat> For the king, uh, for so the king had given orders to each official of his household that he should do according to the desires of each person. So this means that this party wasn't just like oh, it's like a nice little champagne and thing. It's like a debauch orgy. It was a really, uh, you know, a party filled with sin. <clears throat> and there's a contrast here, verse nine. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the palace, which belonged. To King Ashiharis, and I think this is here because it will show a foreshadow. So when all the men are partying in a heart, there's the women that, uh, led by the queen, that's able to go and, uh, and you know, so basically have her own party. And you could imagine there's like a little maybe a tension between the the two. Percent on the seventh day, when the heart of the King was merry with wine, I think that just means in other words, saying he's just super drunk. He commanded, Mi human bitsba harbuna. Abitha, Zithar and carcass, uh, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of the King Azzus to bring Queen Vashti before the king uh, with her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the princess for she was beautiful. So there's a whole bunch of eunuchs and the reason why he has eunuchs is because eunuchs are unable to you know impregnate the, the queen. so he the king surrounds himself with these eunuchs and he tells the eunuchs to go and get the queen to just show off her beauty. First of all, the queen, Vashti, refused <coughs> to come to at the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. Then the king became very angry, and his wrath burned within him. You have to understand, the reason why he was upset, it's, yes, he's embarrassed because his wife is not listening to him. Uh, it's It's offensive because, you know, like, he gave an order, and he... And the person rebelled. And it's funny because this member, this this entire party is supposed to show his dominance. It's supposed to show his power, his sovereign reign over all the military and everything. But the only one person that he cannot control is his own wife. And again, some historical context, Uh, King Azraherus or Xerxes, there's only two people that went against him. One is the Spartans and they lost and the other is Queen Vashti. And you know, if you know the story, she also loses as well. So... uh, Verse 13, then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for it was the custom of the king so to speak before all who knew law and justice and were close to him, Kashrina, Shati Admentha, Tarshish, Mezzanina, and Mikum, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who had access to the king's presence and sat in the first place. In the kingdom, according to law, what is to be done with Queen Vashti because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs? So it's funny because there's in the Persian time whenever they set a law into place, that's supposed to be it. So they're thinking, okay, so what do we do in this situation when the queen doesn't want to do what the king tells them? And they're in this conundrum again. They see like their rule as the uh, what they say, what the law is. Everyone has to submit to it. Again, this is not that far from our time. We have the Supreme Court. They say certain things are in order, and that's how everything is supposed to be. Uh, Verse 16. In the presence of the king and the princes, Memucan said, Queen Vashti had wronged not only the king, but also all the princes and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Ajaharis. The queen's conduct will become known to all the women causing them to look with contempt on their husband by saying, "King Agriharad commanded Queen Vashti to be brought into his presence, but she did not come." This day, the ladies of Persia and Media, who have heard of the queen's conduct, will speak in the same way to all the kings' princes, and there will be plenty of contempt and anger. So it was funny. It's basically saying we need to do something about this because the queen's going to lead by example, and all the women are going to rebel against their, against their husbands. And in verse nineteen. If it pleases the king, let a royal edict be issued by him, and let it be written in the law of Persia immediately so that it cannot be repealed, that Vashti may no longer come into the presence of King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal position to another who is more worthy than she. And so what's going to happen is he—he's going they want to make an example out of her. So their hope is that they're going to make a rule for Queen Vashti to basically exile her so that... Uh, to show everyone else that like you cannot talk to your husband this way, otherwise there's going to be consequences as well. And you have to understand this is a time where there's there's the party was still going on, so everyone was drunk. So remember that law I told you about earlier, uh, in verse um, verse eight. Well, they're now they're now instead of having one sober person making a call to the whole bunch of drunken people, everyone here is drunk and is making this edict. They think this is the best idea. And you have to wonder what happens when they still up. like, "Oh, hey, king, you told us to do this like oh, I did, okay, uh yeah we keep you'll we'll keep with it and you'll find that actually throughout this entire book that's what happens. The king and the people will make a law, and they're always going to try to find a loophole around it, and usually it means that they have to make another law to kind of overthrow their law that they've made before so again, this is a little bit of foreshadowing going on, and there's also another foreshadow that the king cannot make any decisions on his own he's a you know, you know, he has control for armies and, uh, and you know, masses of uh, military people, he can't make a competent decision. Uh, he's just a king that's just really in position, but he can't make decisions on his own. So, verse 20, when the king's edict... Uh, okay, sorry, verse 19. If it pleases the king... Oh, sorry, 20. When the king's edict, which he will make it heard throughout... All his kingdom, great as it is, then all women will give honor to their husbands twenty one this word pleased the king and the prince of the king as uh, king did as you can propose, so he sent letters to all the king 's province to each province according to the description to every language, to their language every people according to the language, every man should be. The Master in his own house and the one who speaks in the language of some people, remember there was one hundred and twenty six provinces. so if they made those edict, they made sure everyone knew exactly uh, what they were <laughs> what the King wanted. those hundred twenty seven provinces he wanted everyone to know um, and that's going to be our setup for for today uh tomorrow uh sorry uh, tomorrow and the following week, we're going to explain what we are going to do with this. We live in a time where people are trying to uh, understand life, but we understand that God is in control over all of life. Um, so I hope that this actually, this setup here, will lead us into uh, a greater understanding of this text, but more important than just this text or this book, that we have a greater understanding of who God is. Again, I'll, I'll, I'll restate the outline right now so that you can have, so you know what's going to happen. Like So our outline is going to be, how sinners deal with life, or how non-believers deal with life, how the government deals or reacts to life. And then, and then later we'll talk how the Christian or the churches will just uh, live out their life. And lastly, how God is control over all of life. So as Christians, we should be able to discern these things, and we should be able to live in such a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Uh, and we can do that if we understand how to apply scripture into our life and even understand who God is so that we can real, relax and, and trust in him completely. Okay, with that said, we close our time in prayer. And, uh, okay, let's pray. Lord have uh, Lord God, I'm thankful uh, for us to be able to read, go through this short little message and I hope that as we walk through this, we, we find a humor in it uh, in that man does stupid things without you and it They will do things that are wild and wicked. Uh, But in the end, uh, you are still sovereign over the wickedness of man. You're still in control over every little thing that happens ultimately for your glory. Lord, although we don't understand what you're doing at this present moment, we can trust in you for who you are, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that as we study through this, that that our love and trust for you grows and their assurance in you grow as well. Be with us this week and this day. And may we be honoring to you and all that we do. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, I'll see you guys tomorrow. And uh hope you have a blessed day.